Don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church. That's under attack. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a much-needed subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon we have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Check us out on our fan page on Facebook. When you type in at Our Mighty Fortress, that page is growing more and more every day. And we'd love to have you interact on the page. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. There you'll find articles and videos and even a link to our merch store where you can support the work. Speaking of that, if you feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. If we have helped you in some way through our work, please tell us at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about a word that confuses both the simple and the self-professed wise. This word is so simple to understand, yet has been made so complex by those who seek to undermine the gospel of Christ. The word I'm talking about is the word repent. What does this word mean, especially when in the context of the Bible? Some say repentance is required for salvation, while others say that no repentance is evolved. Some would seem to make salvation workspace in reference to repentance while others are accused of making salvation too easy in their reference to this word if we're if we can truly understand this word then we can understand god's intentions and how a lost person converts to christ and becomes what the bible calls born again we can also see how it applies to the new testament believer most of all, when the word is used in reference to God himself, especially in the Old Testament, is when he repents of various things, what does that even mean? Did he sin? We're going to talk about that. Well, how are we going to achieve this? I'm going to begin as to why this word seems confusing to most and the different definitions involved with it. We'll then look at what God said in the Hebrew and Greek root words used in our English translation of the King James Bible. 
we'll begin to see how it can be easy for false teachers to manipulate scriptural meanings. I want to then dive into how this applies to a lost person becoming born again according to the Bible. This is going to be a theological study, but it's going to be a great help in your ministry and your walk with God. I want to make it as clear as possible with illustrations and the simplistic manner in which I believe God intends us to understand. Let us use our critical thinking skills and dive into one of the more controversial words in the Bible. With that introduction, let's get right into this. I want to start off with a concept known as the Ordo Salutis, which is Latin for Order of Salvation. This podcast is a study on the word repentance, but this is in a sequence that leads to salvation along with conversion, justification, regeneration, union with Christ, and adoption. Each of these deserves their own podcast, and we may do that in the future. There has been much ink spilled over the order in which a person gets saved, but in reality, there is no chronological sequence. The truth is that it all happens simultaneously. Now, <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody out there that is going to get quite annoyed by me saying that because I just ruined their doctrinal thesis on the subject. I also may use some of these words like regeneration or justification in the study on repentance and its link with faith. Faith and repentance walk hand in hand in the process of salvation, but it's the application of repentance that can bring a person either into heresy and conflict with the Bible or to its true biblical meaning. We're going to take a look specifically at repentance. Let's start with the question of why this word seems so difficult to interpret by many. We're going to dive into the linguistic problems a, a bit later, but we have to see the problem in our culture first because there's a context to how we see things here, especially in America and the Western world. We must start with the problem that the Western world has become addicted to the have it now mentality. This permeates literally everything that we do. And if something doesn't happen in an instant, we can lose focus or even become annoyed. Because of this, our culture has grown lazy, especially with those in the Christian faith. Our attention spans would rather have, let's say, a two-minute shallow YouTube video on a theological subject rather than diving down deep in the truths of God. This is a curse that's not only for the layperson, but it can also affect pastors of churches. The word repent or repentance causes such a divide in the Christian world, even within the fundamentalist circles. Now, I'm Baptist through and through, but there are many who would claim to be educated in the Bible that have such a hard time interpreting this word. There are some reasons for this like the previously mentioned attention span problems and the lack of legitimate study. The second issue is that pastors have to preach weekly messages, but the temptation can be to be only stuck on the practical theology category. Now, practical theology deals with everyday issues that may affect your daily walk with God. 
there are various temptations like it could be something large and or grander in scope like drugs alcohol or fornication adultery anger pride suicide depression and there's much more these are listed throughout the scriptures the positive aspects uh, are like walking with God. You can find those with the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, which says, quotes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. End quote. Now, the other side to teaching the Word of God as a pastor is helping the congregation understand the deep theological truths of the Lord and his redemption story. This would include subjects that are found within the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation, or maybe even hard-to-understand passages, or even eschatology, which is the study of end times. Studying the deep truths of God will address what the word repentance means, in its full context to help clear up the confusion. There may be those who teach much of the practical theology side, but they haven't really been balanced in their study of the full counsel of God. It's rough, I, I know, because the temptation is to try to meet various needs of the congregation, but you have to give them a full diet of the word of God. It's a hard truth. But that's why there is such a divide on the word repent. The Bible is not subject to private interpretation. And as it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, quote, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. End quote. We need to know what we're talking about when we use certain words. The second aspect is the linguistical problem. Because we have grown lazy in many areas of our culture, this also affects how we speak and understand language. English, like many other languages, must be read contextually. And when you see the word repent, you have to use it in its proper context to understand the passage of Scripture. Once again, the Bible is not open to private interpretation. Thus, you must understand the Scripture on how God and his writers intended the words to be used. This is very important. We can also tend to be too simplistic in our word usage and make the words say things they don't actually say. It's about consistency and logical thought as you interpret the word of God. One thing leads to another. For instance, you never judge one passage by itself to make a particular doctrine. That ends up being very bad doctrine and not biblical, obviously. Verses, even the more difficult ones, can be cross-referenced, and that's how you know what God intends and expects. Repentance is one of these words. Now let's take a look at the biblical Hebrew, Greek, and then the English words and see if we can find some overlap in how they're used. Let's take a look at the Old Testament and the Hebrew word, Nacham. This word has a variety of meanings depending upon context. It can mean to be sorry, to repent, to regret. If you slightly change the pronunciation to Necham, then it can mean comfort or to be comforted. 
we see the first usage of this word for repent in context of God seeing the wickedness of man after his fall from the Garden of Eden. It says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6, quote, And it repented the Lord that he had made him on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart, end quote. Is this talking about anything dealing with God sinning? No, of course not. The contextual usage was that God was grieved by the sin of man and regretted making man. Now, that's pretty deep. This would later bring about the judgment found in the worldwide flood. This happens many times in scripture with the same kind of context. When God wants Israel to repent, it's based upon their hearts and attitudes toward their ways when compared to his. The emphasis wasn't on the specific sin. But let's move on. Next is the Greek New Testament language and the usage of the word of metanoel. This word means to change one's mind or purpose or to repent. It's used predominantly of a religious and ethical change in the way one thinks about acting. So the emphasis is about how one thinks. We see this wonderfully used in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15. It says, quote, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. End quote. This is used in convincing a person to change his or her mind about his or her position in life and to acknowledge the kingdom of God is at hand. Then they're told to believe the good news or the gospel. This concept is again reiterated by Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 21 and verse 32. It says, quote, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye... When ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. End quote. It's important to note that just like the Old Testament usage, the focus is on the heart and attitude and not the actions or sin itself. Jesus blasted the Pharisees for being full of pride and arrogance, consistently believing what they wanted to believe in and not what he had told them. In context, John the Baptist told of Jesus but they didn't believe him. The tax collectors and prostitutes believed. But even though the Pharisees had seen much more, even with the miracles and the acts through Christ, they still turned their hardened hearts away. Notice that this is required in order to believe. We will deal more with that later because Jesus hits this point over and over and over again. Again, Repentance is not a focus on the specific sin or action, but an attitude towards something. This is very important to grasp. Let's take a look at the English definition. Now that we look at Hebrew and Greek, what does English say? There is several relevant definitions. One, to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something done or spoken. Two, to express sorrow for something past. Three, to change the mind in consequence of the inconvenience or injury done by past conduct. 
or in theology to sorrow or be pained for sin as a violation of God's holy law, a dishonor to his character and government, and the foulest ingratitude of a being of infinite benevolence? That's from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. There are several definitions there that you would have to apply context to when you're reading scriptures. Okay, well, let's move on to our next portion where we start putting this all together, not only theologically, but practically. The Bible says over and over again that we're saved by faith through God's grace. We see this in many places like Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, quote, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house and quote. Also, Romans 5, 1, quote, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. And there are many more, but one of the most clearest set of verses is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, quote, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, end quote. Where does this leave repentance? If you make the word to mean one has to drop his or her sin before turning to Christ, then you just turned the emphasis based upon the action and not the attitude or heart. This is very, very important to understand. To understand repentance means you have to know that man's number one issue is that he thinks of himself as a little g God. That is all of our issue. That is man's overall number one issue as we think of ourselves as little g gods. Now, I know that hurts your conscience to hear it. It hurts our, our ears. It burns our ears to hear that. But when we sin, that's essentially what we're doing because we fancy what we want to do, being the little g God, rather than what God commands Part of understanding our sin condition is knowing that that has, is, ultimately has a consequence, an eternal consequence in hell that God has to judge. And it ultimately condemns us before him, that type of attitude and that sinful heart. That's what we need saving from. Now, someone can say, well, God expects his people to quit sinning. Well, there's an element of truth in that. But remember, the change comes from an attitude not focused upon an action. Sure, if somebody's chugging alcohol or doing drugs right in front of you, and then he just flippantly says, sure, I'll accept Jesus. Well, he probably doesn't understand his sin plight before God. Understanding the judgment of God brings a brokenness that then brings about the repentance or change of mind in how he sees himself before a holy and righteous God. Remember, the emphasis is not on the action, but the heart and attitude. That cry of the soul for salvation from, for one's sins is what comes forth from a person who's ready to be saved. Ultimately, we keep sinning until the day that we die after that. And if the emphasis was placed upon the action, then none of us could be saved. This also would make God a liar, given that he states otherwise over and over and over again. 
I'll have to say that I can actually look at my own life as an example of this, my own salvation testimony. I was once a drunkard in the Marine Corps. There came a point in my life where I was at the end of myself and I cried out to God for help. God sent by two soul winners to witness the Marines on base. They eventually meet and talk with me uh, and come and talk to me at the barracks. And in my barracks room, I accepted Christ. I already knew that I was hopeless in my condition before God. And that repentance, change of mind or attitude, led me to putting faith in Christ, who is my Redeemer. Now, it took me two months to quit drinking after that. When I got saved and the Holy Spirit moved inside my heart, he was slamming me for drinking booze. I kicked it finally and, and one day, about two months later, and I said no more. It, I had been clean now for going on 14 years. But let's just say that it had taken me two years to quit drinking. Would that have made me not saved? Of course not. Because the emphasis is not on the action, but the attitude and the heart. Another really great way to give an example of this concept is if you were to go to the country of India, where there are literally millions of false deities. If you were to walk up to some random Hindu and say to him that Jesus is God and you need to accept him in order to go to heaven uh, when you die, I'm pretty sure the Hindu would probably do it. Then he'll just make a statue of Jesus and place him alongside the other shelves of God that he has on his wall. Is that man or woman saved the Bible way? No, of course not. The offense and ultimately the repentance that comes in is when he or she finds out that all of those false gods are not real and cannot save them from the penalty of their sin. It comes from knowing that salvation is through Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. That is where the offense comes in. There is where the repentance or the change of mind, heart, attitude comes in. And the person is either becomes born again or will walk away lost. Even when a person gets saved, Christians are told to repent and turn to God and what he expects. We see this example in the church at Corinth. When Paul sent the epistle of 1 Corinthians to chastise them because they were doing a lot of things that God was not happy about. We then see the resolution in 2 Corinthians. Now, in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, in verse 9, it says, quote, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing, end quote. What is Paul talking about? When they received the first letter in 1 Corinthians, when Paul was chastising them, they made the corrections needed and they repented of their sin. Did it have anything to do with the salvation? Not at all. It was a change of attitude and their hearts that led to the change of action. Changing an attitude and heart leads to a change of action. Keep that in mind. There are Christians that may very well be convicted on their sins that they're partaking in, 
but God is working on them. It doesn't affect their salvation, but they'll be chastised of the Lord. He expressly talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 6. It says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. End quote. What is it talking about? It's pretty clear that if a person has no fruit of change in their life, and not, they're not receiving the chastisement of the Lord, then they're not God's children. We see this reemphasized again in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, quote, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us, end quote. That goes for those who said that they were Christians, but then they leave the faith and that they blaspheme God in the end. Well, they weren't truly believers. There was so much that can be said on this matter that leads into a deeper theological study as well as other practical theological lessons. I hope and in this short amount of time that I've been able to help clear up any misconceptions or, e or even help grow in your understanding of what repentance means and what God expects. I hope that this furthers your understanding of God and his love for us. There is so much to be thankful for when it comes to his great redemption story of mankind through Jesus Christ. It really does just put an overwhelming sense of gratitude in your heart that you can be eternally saved from your sins. Now, if you're listening to this and you don't know if you're going to go to heaven when you die, please visit our website and hit the about tab and you can see a detailed uh, list of how you can know for sure you go to heaven when you die. Or you can also listen to podcast number five. May God bless you richly and that you would keep growing in the Lord. I want to thank you for listening, and be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.